We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. I'm Sandra Hurley and I'm joined by Sinn Féin's Justice Spokesperson, Sligo Leitrim TD, Martin Kenny. Hello, Martin. Hello, Sandra. How are you? And also by our political correspondent, Michal Lahan. Hey, Sandra. So, first of all, we've got some breaking news, Michal, and uh, you're going to be bringing us up to date on this one. This is one we'd all been waiting for. We have a name now for Simon Coveney's kitten. Yes, Simon Coveney's kitten. All these years later, the kitten that Simon Coveney bought for his family uh, after the Pope visited Ireland uh, and his daughters were making a presentation to the Pope. He was bribed, he said at the time, to get a kitten. Uh, So it had been written at the time that that kitten was called Francis, but actually Spirit is the name as revealed during the order of business in the doll today. Wow. So uh, after all these years, we were under the mistaken belief that the kitten was called Francis. Yeah. But, but but no, it's Holy Spirit or, or Spirit. He said Spirit or Holy Spirit. Yeah. Of course, there is a cartoon series I, I think I know as well uh, called Spirit, which is about a horse, uh, an untamed horse. So it might maybe more linked to that. But but who knows? That would be an ecumenical matter, I suppose, as they say. <laughs> but this this arose when the Fianna Fáil TD Paul McAuliffe was raising issues about the need for more funding around animal welfare. And uh, Simon Coveney saying that he understood these issues uh, well, and that he also has two rescue dogs, one of whom uh, was rescued from the boot of a car in Dublin Port. So a lot of detail about the pets in Simon Coveney's home uh, revealed in the doll today. So it's wow, good so info. Yeah, it's hard to follow that. Uh, Martin, any pets in your household? Oh, we do indeed. We have two Irish wolfhounds, uh, Shoda and Rua, and uh, they're large and, and adventurous and uh, you can leave nothing around the place but they have a torn in bits but they're, they're wonderful fun and, and, and great to have in any family. And I believe uh, President Higgins had a wolfhound called Shoda didn't he? Uh, who took inspiration there? Who, who Which uh, wolfhound came first? Uh, well Shoda was there first and then Rua arrived so I, I don't know I'm not sure where where the name came from or how we got the names but uh, Rua is a sort of a, a red coloured dog so that's, that's how that came about. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, tell me, Martin, uh, this is a bit of a gear change now, but uh, yeah. you're a TD in Sligo Leitrim. You're in a border constituency mm-hmm. near Fermanagh and Cavan. And we saw this week those convictions for the attacks on Kevin Lunny. Uh, what's the mood in the ground in your area? Well, what's the thinking on some of that? Well, certainly for some time now, people were, were always, I suppose, astonished that this happened in the first place. This was over two years ago. Uh, we have had convictions this week and that's very welcome. And, uh, you know, while sentencing hasn't happened yet and there's still uh, some distance to go in this, there's another another man before the courts as well, another stuff coming up uh, and there was an acquittal in one of them. So, you know, there's, there's some distance to go on it and I know that the investigation is ongoing. But uh, for... The people in the community in the area, it's 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 uh, it's very welcome that there has been convictions and that it has been dealt with appropriately. Uh, what happened to Kevin Lunny was absolutely outrageous, and you know he had the support of the entire community, uh, certainly in in the border region and everywhere in the country as far as that goes, because it was it was one of those very dramatic incidents which um, which really made people understand that the the the. Um, you know that being in business is is something that that anyone can get into, and and you know when it's when it's taken so far and grudges are taken so far to a stage where somebody is is abducted and and, and beaten and abused and tortured in this way is is just simply outrageous. 
And uh, Martin Sinn Féin, of course, you all gathered together two weeks ago for your Ordesh. It's one mm-hmm. of the first big Ordeshes we've seen. But the big eye-catching uh, item there was Sinn Féin modifying its its long-held opposition to the Special Criminal Court. And you now say that it, this can be used in rare and exceptional occasions. I'm curious about the timing of this. Why make that yeah. move now? Well, no, it's something we've been we've been working on in a while, I suppose. Uh, first of all, the offences against the state actors from there over 80 years, we, we feel is not appropriate legislation and needs to be changed. And there needs to be a lot of a movement on that. We feel that where possible in, in all circumstances, there should be a jury to try people in a court. Uh, however, we also have to live in the real world and recognise that there may be situations where that can be difficult. And so what we set out doing was, first of all, looking for a review which we succeeded in, in, in getting, and there's review underway at the moment to look at all this legislation and the emergency powers and all of that, which isn't appropriate that you have emergency legislation being renewed every year. We need to have certainty around our laws. And we also looked at, uh, from our internal point of view and from Sinn Féin's point of view, that if or when we'd be in government, what laws would we put in place? What parts of the present structure there would be required to be kept? What parts could be dispensed with? How would we do that? And that motion that we brought to the Ardesh was about that. We accepted that on some rare circumstances that there could be non-jury courts, but in the but it would be rare if ever used if we had other alternatives. Because at the moment you just have two two ways of doing it. You either have a full jury that's read out every day in the court, or you have no jury at all. And we felt there was space for to create a situation in in, in modern technology. Like we're speaking now, I'm in a booth away from you. I can't see you, but yet we can we can communicate. And and certainly with with modern technology, we feel that juries could be behind screens, or they could be remotely, or they could be anonymized, and all of those things could be used as other ways of doing it where you would also uh, maintain the use of a, of, of a juried court because internationally through the Human Rights Commission and Inter- Amnesty International other organisations have you know, expressed concerns and have condemned Ireland uh, for many, many years or decades now about the over-reliance of non-jury courts and also the fact that it can't be appealed and there's various issues in the detail of it but, that, but that need would, to be worked out. Would you accept that this was brought in because this is about jury intimidation so it has been used in mm. the past to prosecute Republicans in more recent time it's usually been members uh, of gang do you yeah. recognise and accept that the Special Criminal Court has protected citizens? Well, the, there has been situations in the past where there has been threats to jurors and indeed to witnesses and all of that. And of course, the non-jury court does nothing but witnesses. But uh, we accept that there can be situations where, where juries can be vulnerable, particularly where we have these major criminal gangs and what they're doing on the streets right now and the, and the wealth and the influence they have. And uh, we feel that there we need to be using technology, first of all, as a means of protecting them, but where there is still a danger and still a fear that uh, it isn't safe, that there can be on some rare occasion non-juried courts but it is it is not the best option either in Ireland or internationally other jurisdictions use it very rarely if ever and I think we should be able to develop a system in Ireland who will be in a similar space as it is international and in other jurisdictions But some have seen this as something of a cynical move Sinn Féin is uh, well, on the current polls, it's heading for government, and this is going to make the party more palatable to some sections of the electorate. Is it a simple calculation by the party? Uh, no, it's not. I mean, it's 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 just it's just coming into the real world and recognizing that we 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 have to uh, not just condemn or, or reject laws which we have a difficulty with and which internationally uh, other human rights organisations have a difficulty with, we also have to present alternatives. And that's what we're trying to do in respect of this. You know, our opponents will always, you know, be taking a shot at us for whatever reason. Up to now, they, they've taken a shot at us because they said that because we, we opposed uh, 
the the use of the over reliance on on uh, non jury courts was that we made us soft in crime. We didn't feel that was the case. Now that we've 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 moved that to a certain extent and 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 uh, modified that position, uh, they're taking a shot at us about something else. You know, it's it's that's just the, the nature of politics, Sandra. And you're long enough around to know understand that. Is it going to alienate some sections of the party? We saw a reaction this week mm. from the former councillor, Theresia Ferris. Uh, she's the daughter of Martin Ferris, and uh, she called this cute whorism. <laughs> yeah, look, I know Theresia quite well, and, and, and she can be very expressive sometimes around these issues. And, and you know, a lot of what she was saying, I, I agree with from the point of view that we want to move away from dependence on uh emergency powers and all of that and and the over-reliance on non-jury courts and basically what we're doing is you know setting in 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 train a process of replacing the offenses against the state act with 21st century uh, legislation which will deal with 21st century crime that process isn't always clean it takes time and it takes working through it and that's what we're going to do and that's what we intend to do and you know she can have her criticism that's absolutely fine and many others will have criticism from various various different quarters in respect of that but I mean we simply have to get on with the work of ensuring that we keep people safe that we have a criminal justice system that works for everyone You did say Martin at the Ardesh it, it is about preparing to them and preparing for government I think that was mentioned in Jerry Kelly's contribution That's right There is a there is an element in that, that that's, and I suppose in that sense is that it is a degree of political pragmatism at play here also, is it? Of course, yeah. I mean, we're, we're preparing for government. We're preparing for the reality that, you know, within the short number of years we could be in government and most likely will be, and we will have to uh, be able to have the courage and the ability and uh, the flexibility at times for to sit down and to make laws which will work for people. And this is one of the areas where we're doing that. It's not just in, in, in uh, the criminal justice sector, but in a whole range of areas as well. There will be challenges in housing and health and all of those, and we have to be prepared to, to meet those challenges. And Martin, what about, uh, there's been a lot of focus at the moment about security threats to politicians. We've mm -hmm. seen increased protests at people's homes. You've had this happen on your doorstep as well, haven't you, yeah. uh, more than once? I have indeed. I mean, um, we well, of course, the, the, the more serious incident was just over two years ago where the car was burnt outside of my house. It was in the context of a, a situation that was going on around direct provision centres at the time. And there was one coming near me in Ballinamore. It's there since, and there's 25 families living in it quite happily, sending their children to school and fully integrated into the community. And there's been no issues since they've come there, thank God. And, you know, it has been it has been a huge success in that respect, as it normally is in most communities. But however, there is sometimes small minorities of people who try and, you know, agitate and, 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 and uh, try and create a negative situation. And that was what happened. I made a stand against that and... Well, to some extent, I suppose there was a backlash and, and the car was burnt. But that's that's one of those things that happened in the past. But even since then, uh, you know, I and, and many other politicians have had people who are very aggressive and, uh, you know, sometimes go beyond what we would consider to be common discourse when they want to talk to you about something. And that, that, that happens very, very regularly and too regularly in my view. I think, you know, people who engage, whether they engage with politicians or with anyone else, should do so with a little bit of manners. And that seems to be, seems to be missing for a lot of people. And sometimes that's taken even further. Social media has a role in that as well, where people, you know, put things up on social media and, and, and say things and advocate for, for actions, which uh, is, is criminal in, in many extents if they were to be carried out. And then sometimes others or they themselves go on and carry out those actions. And it, it is very menacing and, and I think is, is hugely destructive 
to our political discourse. Now, we've seen that in these protests at houses of politicians and indeed in some present- presenters in the media as well. And a lot of it comes from a very right-wing analysis of life and an analysis of people who who believe in, you know, pushing their point of view and hammering at home on top of everybody and, and listening to nobody else and having this, this uh, uh, I, I suppose, really, it's, it's a fascist mentality and, and I, I think it needs to be stamped out everywhere. You mentioned there the protests uh, at politicians' homes. Uh, There is a proposal uh, coming from Senator Malcolm Byrne to ban protests at uh, politicians' houses. Would you agree with that? Well, I I would to an extent. I suppose it 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 greatly depends on how what is a protest and how is a protest. You know, sometimes, and, and in fairness, the vast majority of people protest with with dignity and with respect and are respectful toward others. However, I do think that you know, in 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 the close confines of a, of a person's family home, uh, there should be and the vast majority of people would not go to protest at somebody's home. It's only a very minority, a small minority of people do that. The most people would, you know, respect that that's different and would go to, if as a politician, they'd go to their place of work, which is their constituency office or their doll office or outside the doll or um, uh, uh, government department or whatever. And that's quite appropriate. And, and I think there should be... Um, some level of, of legislation or something there to ensure that, you know... That the, the home and the family home of, of people who are in public life is protected in some way. It would be difficult to implement, though, wouldn't it? Exactly, I mean, there, there yeah. is a constitution. There's a, there's a right yep. to protest and the, the balance of rights here would yep. be might be very difficult to strike. It would be very difficult. And that's why I think, you know, whatever legislation is coming forward or whatever proposals are coming forward will have to be teased out in, in, in great detail uh, to make sure that we don't have unintended consequences, to make sure that we do... Um, it, that it, it it will achieve what it sets out to achieve because it is difficult to, to to find the right balance in respect of something like that because as you say rightly people have a right to, to protest and to put forward their point of view but in in I believe and I think most reasonable people would believe that they they have an obligation as well to ensure that they do so with with manners and with respect and with dignity and that's and if if they don't so like that I think they'd actually achieve a lot more as well Martin would you say that politicians are more frightened for their safety than they have been at any point since you entered politics? I think they are. I think politicians are more aware that there's, there's, um, you know, there's a a sense of, 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 a small minority of people out there who who would actually do harm, who would who would take it that step further. And and the last two weeks we had a phone call to our uh, doll office as well from from a person like that who you know was very calm and sober when they were talking at eleven o'clock in the morning. And you know in the course of their conversation, complaining and giving out about Angarda Shiakana, took it that step further and talked about shooting members of Angarda Shiakana, and then talked about shooting people in Leinster House. And you know we had to report that, and that was in the media as well. But it's it's quite regular that we have people who will contact our offices and indeed other deputies as well and senators uh, who are very aggressive and who are who you know are inappropriate in the way they would speak to people but that that safety element is there people are concerned you know that they're the uh, and we've seen what happened to, uh, across the water in Britain recently and you know it's it, it is an issue and it's an issue across the world I think that this politics of resentment and politics of of uh, one-upmanship and 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 grinding people into the ground if they don't agree with you is somehow a virtue and is considered to be acceptable. I don't think it is. And what about the uh, the polls, Martin? Um, Sinn Fein obviously riding high across many polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well ahead at the moment. What's your prediction? How many seats do you think Sinn Fein could realistically bring home? 
Look, I'm, I'm not into predicting seats, but if we went on the polls that are there now, people are saying somewhere between 55 and 65. I, I, I don't know. That would be that would be high in my view. But I mean, we, we, we don't know how, what's going to happen when the election comes. And each constituency is its own battleground in itself. And, and in that respect, you know, we, we certainly have a lot of work to do in many areas where uh, where we, we are quite weak in some areas and very strong in others. So, But we do see, and I will say this, Sandra, we do see the opinion polls being reflected in the attitude that we come across when we meet people on the street and we're talking to them when people are coming to us that, that would never have come to us before about issues. And and we certainly see that there is an appetite for change and for for, for bringing a new type of politics into the country and, the, and they see Sinn Féin as the vehicle to make that happen. Well, what's different now, Martin? I remember back when you were running in the by-election back in 2014, I think. Uh, yeah. And I mean... There was a lot of economic problems in the country at that point as well, uh, but yet the the Sinn Féin message wasn't resonating with voters in the same way that appears to be now, as the polls would suggest. What's different now, do you think? Well, uh, I'm not sure what exactly is different, but I, I think that the message hasn't isn't an awful lot different. Um, I, I think the it's maybe better better articulated. Uh, I think there's there's more confidence. People have more confidence in our our front bench and in the the team that we put forward. And people believe that we can actually deliver. And people believe that we should be given a chance. And uh, people are not as as quick to I suppose swallow the line from our opponents that that we'd be dangerous in government or that we would we would do things. Uh, to destroy the economy and most of that is coming from people who have done exactly that who have destroyed the economy over the last 10 to 15 years so you know th- there's there's I think um uh, maybe maybe communications has got better better as well that we've we've been able to communicate our message better and clearer uh, but I, I do think more than anything else it's it's almost like um uh that particularly among younger voters uh, Sinn Féin is 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 seen as being the party of of the future and of of, of leaving the past behind with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is very much seen as, as the past in their eyes and, and they're, they're, when they look to the future and look to a new future they look towards Sinn Féin I think leftist politics as well worldwide and more liberal left-wing politics is 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 as well, is also you know, taking traction and is, is more uh, the way in which more younger voters are inclined to move as well So last question uh, Martin um, if you were Justice Minister after the next election, what is the first change that you would bring in? God, Sandra, you should have warned me about that question. Yeah, that was a sneaky one that I, I just <laughs> kept up you. my sleeve. Yeah, yeah, they, they say that, they'll all do that to you. <laughs> um, uh, what will I see? Hmm. I think I think one of the first things I, I would try to do is I would I would try to, to, to look at our... The Gardaí is probably one of the, the cornerstones of our, our uh, justice system to keep people safe. And I think there needs to be more resources there. I think an emphasis on community Gardaí and on community policing is one of the things that I would certainly bring changes to. I think also, and I had a meeting about it today, in fact, the whole area of uh, transport police for to meet on public transport, which we're trying to, from a, a global warming point of view, to get more people to use public transport. Often people feel it's not safe to do so, and I think we need to have a dedicated public transport police service, uh, particularly in our capital city and other cities as well, to 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 um, make people uh, safe when they use public transport and safe in the community in general. Uh, I also think there's there's reforms around our prison service and uh, making sure that we have uh, minimised the amount of reoffending which we have occurring uh, from people who go through our prison system is is quite high compared to international norms and that's another issue that I think we would try to tackle fairly early on if we were in the the justice portfolio. Great. Well, Martin, thank you very much for joining us thank today. You, Sandra.
So, Michal, back over to you. I'm afraid I'm going to have to mention something and it's a bit of a dirty word. We're all slightly tired of talking about it, but Brexit, it's still here. There's still brinkmanship, but it looks like the UK have pulled back for now at least. Yeah, for the moment at least. The Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney in the Dáil this morning saying that there was still time for negotiations and for partnerships to work and that he would hope for direct talks with Lord Frost next week. So that tallying with the message at the parliamentary party meetings last night as well, where it was said that the the vibe had been bad, but that the indications in the last 48 hours or so are better. So I suppose you are going to see an intense negotiation, but still that sense of unease and uncertainty in the lead into Christmas, like has been the case for the last number of years, looks yeah, like Yeah, tell me they're continue. not going to try and ruin our Christmas again. It's the question, you know? isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But um, it, for the moment, it does seem that the, the brinkmanship has eased somewhat. And uh, another uh, item on the political agenda this weekend, it's Labour's Ordesh. They're doing it in the Mansion House and it's Alan Kelly's first Ordesh as leader. There'll be a lot of focus on the speech. It's an important moment for him, really, isn't it? Yeah, from Labour's point of view, I mean, somewhat against the odds and against the run of play, they won that by-election before the summer. So that would have settled uh, any nerves that were there. And, and there were nerves because you do have that other bloc that at that point were the similar size to them, the same size, the Social Democrats. So you have that battle on that centre-left Oh yeah, ground. but Labour are now one ahead. Crucial. They're one ahead and that that is kind of crucial in symbolic terms, isn't it? So that is the pressure on the leader. Alan Kelly's leadership will be judged by a number of things. There are the Dáil performances, which don't look to be quite as combative as they used to be. Whether that's part of a strategy or just a maturing uh, party leader, I'm not so sure. Then there's the other question, something that he's renowned for, and that is his organisational skills. And I suppose the pandemic probably would have hampered that somewhat. Uh, because of his inability to travel and go out and meet groups. So you will see that given that that has changed in recent times, the party conference should give uh, a measure of where Labour are at in relation to that. I mean, there still is a degree of strength within the party, over 50 councillors, uh, fairly healthy representation in the Shannon as well. What Labour will point to is the fact that unlike other left parties, they would say that if you look at that huge Sinn Féin surplus across the constituencies the last time that elected many uh, TDs and other parties and independents to that vote didn't seem to go the way of Labour. So I suppose that does show that their identity may be quite diminished compared to where it was and it's not improving drastically, the polls would suggest. But nonetheless, it does seem to be at a remove uh, from the Sinn Féin surge. And uh, moving on to COVID, um, we're talking today on Thursday. Neffet, it, it has been well signalled. It looks like they may issue some advice to tell people to work from home if possible. Are they going to be in conflict with the government on this? We've seen a lot of confusion around the yeah. messaging here. The government have been so vague, probably not. And if you, when that began, I suppose, kind of coming into the, the summer where there was a talk about trying to get everyone back, it seemed possibly beginning that process in August then in September and then when the last big major press conference around this area was held, Leo Varadkar saying that the office, as people know it, wouldn't return to Norman until next spring or maybe a little after that. So, but I suppose if Neffet are very definite that people should work at home along the lines of what Dr Tony Hoolan was talking about, like only come in when really necessary, uh, that would be a step, a slightly different direction to where government have been going. They'll be talking about a staggered return, a very, very, very staggered return. It'll become more staggered. Yeah, now. we're hearing, uh, you know, in the public sector, people are being uh, told, you know, one day a week to come in, your day might be Monday or whatever. So yeah. it is it is being done quite slowly, but there is concern about it because it really affects people's daily lives. Yeah, and it would be, it would be a step 
backwards somewhat, mm-hmm. wouldn't it, compared to where things had been? And I mean, if you look at the things like public transport back to full capacity, that was about helping people return to the workplace and the push also from businesses within towns and cities to try and get people back to work for economic reasons. Uh, if things were to change in that regard, well, then that would be an inter- it wouldn't be quite a restriction, but it would be a nod in that direction. And another uh, item on the agenda this week, uh, originally it was going to be November 9th, we were told that the MICA redress scheme was going to go to Cabinet. Then it turned out it was going to be a sort of a meeting among senior ministers, but it's still not sorted. It's clearly proving very difficult to reach agreement here. Yeah, there's more work to be done and it won't happen next week either. So it's going to be likely the week after. And it seems to the work is focusing in on the cap, the cap Mm -hmm. spoken about around 350,000 some weeks ago. Now it seems likely that that could be 400,000 or above it. That is the figure that's under consideration. I think the official term within government is that more work has to be done on this. More work too around the question of rental properties and a decision as to whether or not those rental properties, the ones that are part of the Residential Tenancies Board, are they included or not? It seems like they will be, but that hasn't been decided. And then there is the guarantee question. How far does that extend? Does it extend to the interior of houses if there was work done on the external walls at a later point then or if people were selling could they get the interior work done those issues have to be resolved it's a huge huge issue for government and you can see the pressure building when someone as typically reticent uh, as Joe McHugh the Fine Gael backbencher from Donegal is talking about considering all his options well the pressure is ratcheting up then. And do you think what's your assessment do you actually think if a government TD wasn't happy that the redress scheme went far enough. Do you think somebody would resign the web? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see the reaction. There has always been a view from the people in Donegal and Mayo and other counties that they're all going to stick together on this one. But if the cap were to go in a certain direction north of 400,000, uh, if there was, would there still be absolute unity then in the call for 100% compensation? If there was and the deal was rejected completely, well, the political pressure then would rise and could force someone outside the party. And of course, the government majority is fairly small. Things are slender mm-hmm. enough and they will be mindful of that. It wouldn't take too much for this government to run into to bother. Mm-hmm. And I think there have been lobbying of those independent uh, TDs as well who who typically support the government around this. So maybe even that vote wouldn't be quite as assured. Those TDs who are not affected by this, who are in other constituencies, would look at it in a different way. But they would also be mindful of the fact that there are other construction issues, particularly in relation to apartments and cities and Mm -hmm. fire regulations there, and that there's likely to be more of that in the future, uh, more remedial works that needs to be done. And could there be compensation calls on that front as well? So I think there's certainly an awareness of that too. And we can see the concern of officials trying to put a cap on it and to contain the cost, but then it's the political pressure really and and the government, of course, going to have to make that decision. So we're going to leave it there for this week. My thanks to Michal Lahan and Martin Kenny. Thanks for listening to the Your Politics podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. 